Today is the 24th day of November, 2014. 88 years ago, Sri Aurobindo received the overmental. Preparatory to the supramental descent. There were only about 13 people in attendance. Nolini has written a little, Purani has written a little bit about how Mother called everyone and they gathered together. But other than that, we don't have very much. And the world has no idea what Sri Aurobindo has done. So I've asked our dear friend Alok to speak today on Sidi Day, the day of victory. start with, I must say that um, I feel a deep joy today particularly and in some way it reminds me, maybe through an inner memory of the joy that everyone felt during that period when the great descent, over mental descent of the overmind into the physical consciousness took place. But I wish to go about this subject in a little different way. And I feel inspired to speak today about an aspect of Shurabindu which goes unnoticed, Shurabindu and the mother. We know Shurabindu as a yogi and we talk about him as a philosopher, poet and even a revolutionary. But Shurabindu the renunciate because all yoga implies a double movement, a movement of accomplishment and a movement of renunciation. In fact, renunciation is a preparation for the next step because until we discard what we still hold on to, we cannot get what we aspire to get. In Shurabindu's life up to this great moment in 1926, we see a series of renunciation. We know how difficult his life had been in, uh, in, in UK, in Cambridge, in Manchester, in these places. And much has been spoken and written about it. But the first renunciation at a most material level when Shurabindo renounced the ICS, which could have been a doorway to uh, a very good career and job which most people of, uh, you know, that age look for. And during those times, it was a much, much more valuable thing than what we can conceive of today. And then joining the Baroda State Service. Then we see again that Shurabindu renounces the Baroda State Service, the money and the position, the prestige and the fame involved with it, to plunge himself into the revolutionary freedom movement of India. Up till this, we can understand because there were people at that time who renounced their careers, their jobs, their money, their position for the sake of a greater movement which uh, at that point of time, the freedom movement of India. But then after that, we see one after another a series of inner renunciations, something which goes unnoticed because it's so inner. Shobindo had the experience of Nirvana, 
what is normally regarded as a peak experience. There are yogis who would, after that, probably they have to do nothing else except withdraw in some part of the world or, you know, withdraw within themselves or maybe paradoxically preach nirvana to the world. That has also happened. Talk about um, that to the world and awaken everybody to the need of withdrawing from this world. But Shirobindo doesn't do anything of that sort. And what is amazing is that after that, Shirobindo plunges himself into activity of very different kind. He edits journals, he speaks, goes about, and during those days, Nalnita describes that they were already within him the marks of a god and a yogi. And how, with what compassion Shiobindu would respond to people. Lots of people would come along when he went for his talks all over the all over India. And uh, they would come, they would have problems, they would have issues. And how Shiobindu, with utmost compassion, deal with each one's difficulty, disregarding all his personal conveniences and comfort. Of course, that he was known to do even in Baroda days. And then it all culminates in the Alipur jail in that grand experience of Vasudevam Sarvamiti regarded by the Gita as the rarest of rare experiences that a yogin can have. And the mother speaking of that experience says it was an experience of supramental oneness where he sees the one immanent divine everywhere in, in the blanket, in, in the cup, in the bars, in the tree, in the judge, in the prosecutor, in those who were God. fighting on his side and those who were on the other side. Yes. It's an amazing experience. And one wonders what else is left after that. We talk about Buddha's renunciation and of course it's a great renunciation. But when we really look at the heart of it, Buddha renounces worldly life because he wants to attain to a greater consciousness, spiritual life or a greater life or a higher life or truer life. And that renunciation is well known. But when one has both worldly achievement, worldly success, and one has already arrived at the culmination of spiritual pursuit, then what is left? And that's where we see Shurabindu's great renunciation at that point of time. Instead of becoming a worldwide guru, which he could easily have done, he withdraws. And many people couldn't understand at that point of time that what has happened. And some thought that he, have, he has escaped from the uh, issues during the revolutionary period. And there's a famous story of Charu Chandra Dutt. I'm just digressing a little just to see the buildup of that great event. And C.C. Dutt, who was one of Shirobindra's contemporary, he, for, uh, he was one of them who didn't like at all that Shirobindra had withdrawn from active politics and he felt that he has abandoned everybody and escaped. So he burnt away a lot of letters etc which Shirobindra had written to him and that material and all that he kept with him was a copy of the Gita which Shirobindra used to read and had given to him. Much later when Shirobindra is here and Dilip Kumar Roy, who very often became a catalyst for bringing together mm. many persons to Shirobindo, he asked Shirobindo, do you know Charu? It seems, he says, he claims that he was your, uh, you know, compatriot during the revolutionary days. And Shirobindo says, oh, Charu, yes, yes, I know him very well. He is one of those 
with whom I have fought the battle of the ages in many lives. But in this life, I could not call him because the work that had to be done was of a different kind. And when this was told to Charu, he was totally amazed that, that he holds, he used to call him chief, that he holds him in such a great esteem. <laughs> and what had he been doing? So Charu's wife scolded him when she came to know that, look, I've been telling you that you go and seek shelter and refuge at his feet. He will give you peace and calm, which you desperately need. And Charu, still with some hesitance and resistance because uh, he would never um, bow down before anybody who was non-Indian and the mother was French. <laughs> so he writes to Sherbindo that I would like to come there. But uh, I have two problems. I uh, cannot bow before a foreigner lady. And, uh, you know, he used to smoke hookah in the pipe. And Shubindo asked Charu that, you know, I, do you still smoke hookah? Then he writes, yes, but I am not the slave of hookah. Hookah is my slave. You know, that cigar is my slave. So anyways, he got the permission to come. And on the way, he describes how he completely got rid of this habit of smoking hookah. It never occurred to him. He never felt an impulse. And he comes and when he has Shubindo's darshan, Shubindo asks him, have you seen the mother? Now is the moment of, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, he just doesn't know what to say. And he says, no, I have some back problem and so I cannot bend and all. Shubindo says, that's not a problem. Mother will be, uh, can stand a little higher up and you can do your pranam. <laughs> and sure enough, when he saw her, he could sense immediately that how silly and stupid of me that I was trying to put her in a frame of a certain nationality, of a certain language, she is beyond all frames. Uh, so he had that inner revelation and he stayed on. And during Darshan days, it was Charu who, had, who was the first one uh, allowed to go to Shurbindo. I mean, there used to be sequence. So who will go first, who will go next like that. So we see in Shurbindo this great renunciation and he explained that why he came away because he had foreseen the lines along which India would achieve freedom it was decided and the lines had been worked out and already released it was an occult action so he had to do something much greater and that he says in one of his letters to Barin divine man making because when Barin says are you still doing man making he says well I have done my bit of man making now I'm busy doing divine man making then we see again Shurbindo going still further Another realization, which is the third major realization, and that is the Parbrahman realization, of which, of course, nothing can be spoken because you can speak of it as not this, not this, neti, neti. You can equally speak of it, this, this, this alone, this alone, it is, it is, iti, iti. And yet, neti and iti don't describe him. Shurabindo in one of his poems, because that's the master, Shurabindo, the master of the word, speaks of the unspeakable, you know, normally, and Shubhinda himself says you cannot speak of Parbrahman. It is beyond all definitions and descriptions. And how beautifully he puts it. He says, he is, we cannot say, nor he is not. For nothing too is a conception of himself unguessed. Both time and timelessness sink in that sea. Time becomes a wave space, a wandering drop.
And it ends with this wonderful line, The Almighty One, new labor, pain and strife. This is the great miracle that the divine becomes all this. The reverse miracle, if we may say so. And the miracle, original miracle, which opens the door for the evolution. So, uh, we see again after this experience, Parabrahman, which is of which nothing can be spoken. Yet, Shurabindu is busy laboring for something else, something still greater. And it's quite understandable why people would have felt terribly confused at what's happening. And during that time when Shurabindu saw that they just can't figure out what's happening because all that is there in his records of yoga. So these gatherings started somewhere around, I think, 1921-22, uh, what are now known as the evening talks. And people would put questions and Shurabindu would answer. To some of them, he would say, no, not yet, not now. I would talk about it later. There's a series of questions that the disciple asks on his birthday. For instance, do you think that uh, now the moment is coming closer? He would say, well, it's a bit uh, closer than before. Then they ask, uh, is humanity ready? And then Shurabindu says, well, there is a strong resistance in the material world in the external uh, world and that resistance must be dissolved for the supermind to descend and humanity is not ready he makes it very clear that you know uh, the supermind is descending but it it doesn't come down right into the matter and fix itself and then in one of the places um, i think it's a conversation in november 1926 itself or maybe a little before but it is 1926 when the disciple asked that, uh, sir, what are the conditions for this um, supramental descent and fixing itself in the earth consciousness? So he says, one of them is that you have to approach it through the psychic, psychic being. Now that is something which disciples comprehend a little bit. And then they ask, sir, what are the other conditions? So Shurabindu says, I can't speak about it. It's no use speaking because you won't understand <laughs> So the disciples ask him, Sir, please try. We will try to understand. <laughs> so Shirobindo says that, you know, um, beyond the self and not the Atman, <laughs> there is another plane at which the individual finds his true, true being. You know, what is called as the Jiva in yes. Indian thought. Yes. And that is the plane of the gods, the true gods. And that plane must come down. Then only it is possible for the next step to take place. So the disciple immediately says, Sir, I couldn't understand. And Shirobindo says, Well, I told you so. <laughs> so <laughs> that's how <laughs> the conversation stops there. But essentially what, if you really look at the earth's evolutionary history, what has been happening till now is that evolution has taken place under the stress of the overmind, most often not directly, but indirectly through the other gods and goddesses for instance we had at one point of time the norse gods we were more like titans and many of the gods of uh, you know uh, the early humanity which are documented now we see them very close to you know human conceptions titanic conceptions even of the gods and yet they were necessary for human beings to evolve one step one step and then in Indian thought, and Shubindu speaks about it, that the conception of the gods comes in in, the, in its full-blown way. And he particularly speaks about the threefold trinity and about Krishna and the true gods 
who are the supramental gods and they have not yet manifested upon earth and yet the overmental gods have shaped creation till now. Now these gods are wonderful beings and they are very nice, very nice beings, very helpful, benevolent. Mother was asked that do they harm human beings? The mother says the true gods do not harm unless you hit against them <laughs> with their nose and then you will fall flat. At the same time, they are very different from uh, what human beings carry. Because of the psychic presence, human beings have that sympathy, that deep love, that deep sympathy, that deep spirit of oneness with things that the gods don't have. The adoration for the supreme, the surrender to the divine, this the gods don't know. Because for them, the birth and death of a human being is nothing. It's not even a fraction of a moment. And for them, it's simply the uh, body which is destroyed and the evolution goes on. So they don't really care much about that. Mother calls them typal. Typal beings. So they are typal beings. And well, titans are also typal beings. And uh, these beings don't evolve. To evolve, they have to take human birth. So in this evolutionary history of earth, the gods have played the role of influencing mankind to turn towards something higher, something more beautiful, something nobler. But because human beings have a psychic being, time to time we will see in the history of Earth's spiritual evolution that there are beings who have gone beyond the gods and they talk about it. In the Upanishads they talk about it and there is the famous story which mother used to love and enjoy and when the film was shown she was very amused. The story of uh, Sati Anasuya, it's from the Indian thought where a lady by the power of her tapasya and what kind of tapasya? Simply a one-pointed love towards her husband and the practice of truth. That's why she is called as the great Sati. By the practice of truth, she goes to such an extent that even the Trinity, she is able to change them into little babies. Mm -hmm. They come to test her that, you know, whether she is really a chaste woman or not. Now, this is not so simple as, you know, chastity is not of the body, but of the mind. Nalnida speaks about it. And when they come to test her, they give a strange kind of situation that you have to make us eat food sitting in your lap and you would be without any dress and she has committed and she says fine but she has a trick up her sleeve and she turns them into little babies makes them sit and feeds them and says go and sleep so now the three great goddesses suddenly realize that their husbands are no more coming back and they come and they say that look we are, uh, we are sorry it was we who felt that how can a human being be greater than us goddesses and we realized that you know we were wrong that human beings have something in them which takes them beyond the gods but now our problem is about our husbands <laughs> and she tells them well you find out for yourself they are all lying there you recognize yours and take them home <laughs> now when this film was shown mother was very happy and she said the beauty of this film is that Human beings can do it. They can go beyond the gods because they have a psychic being. So what was happening? The general humanity was shaped by the overmind gods. But few human beings had found a path to go beyond these gods. The great seers, the great initiates. And this secret was guarded in schools because it would upset the creation. So the rest of the humanity was still under the influence of the gods. They would worship them and the gods would help them to grow depending on the kind of God and this was the relation sometimes some gods would partially incarnate in some human beings these stories are there in Indian thought 
and they are there in uh, everywhere in the world but in indian thought is being given a lot of prominence for instance in mahabharata at all crucial junctures partially these gods have sent their emanations in some specific human beings arjuna himself the recipient of the gita is supposed to have been an ansha avatar of indra so that's how they would um, help the evolutionary march of mankind but the problem was one they were influencing from above they never directly descended into matter except for krishna the anandame and he came took an earthly body the supreme that's how the mother puts it puts it took an earthly body but then withdrew and stayed like the avatars avatars never completely withdraw but his work was not to change matter but to show a way to the over mind and past beyond that he gave a very wide way the way of works and the triple path not to go into that now the first thing was that these gods must descend and fix themselves into material creation and work there so far they have been in their cozy homes and influencing from there <laughs> so as the in any case when you pull the supermind down they are bound to come closer it's a pressure from above they also feel the heat <laughs> so the mother describes so beautifully that for few months before november 1926 there was a pressure for these gods to descend now what was happening when these gods began to incarnate people couldn't bear it we have the famous example of tirupati now one of the four great gods whom shrivindu wanted to descend the four uh, guardians of the supramental world and tirupati when he received that he lost his mind he began to believe that he is god himself and he had to be sent away there are so many letters of shrivindu with regard to tirupati it is one of those story of the dangers of you know yoga and he had to be sent away from pondicherry and arrangements were made to for him to stay in andhra where he lived after that throughout and though he was in touch with shurbindo time to time he would get the impulse to come here but shurbindo had told very clearly that you have to stay there now of course the journey doesn't stop this is just for the sake of completion tirupati would come again and the yoga is never lost somebody who has gone to that extent but this became a dangerous thing because when these gods began to incarnate uh, it swells the ego and so very interestingly in one of the conversations shobindo would tell that you know previously i thought um, it's not safe to talk to you about this plane of the gods because it would be dangerous but now not to speak about them would be dangerous now it's very interesting that why shobindo made that remark yes well previously to speak about them would have been dangerous because everybody would romanticize and fantasize oh i am this god <laughs> and you know today so many human beings start believing that they are gods and uh, what happens to the ego is you know legion stories are legion about that it's so easy and mother has said the dazzles of the over mind are so dazzling that anybody can mistake them for the uh, true divine and she says that uh, Shubhendu says that at one point, even for me, I felt this is it. Till he renounces that and goes further, so he would not speak about the gods because people would start believing that they have grown into that god and this god. And particularly in India, there are so many stories, and everybody is some god <laughs> somewhere there. But later on, because these gods were descending, for instance, in um, Nalini, the Varuna had descended. In Amrita, Brahma. 
the the god with the word of creation so this was happening and um, not to speak about them was dangerous because people may lose their way so shurbindo cautioned that what is necessary uh, if you really want to contain these experiences is to one freedom from the ego you have to now more than ever before work towards getting free from the ego and the desire element because if it mixes the whole experience will turn towards a kind of aggrandization of the ego and will end in disaster so he was preparing everybody because he saw what is happening and then of course the mother when she saw these gods coming and touching the earth she asked them would you like to participate in the supramental creation yes mother yes mother no it's not enough for you to be up there would you like to incarnate fix in matter no mother no mother <laughs> so beautifully she describes that they would come and sit on the ledge all the trimurti and all of them but nobody would want to take a body fix himself in in a body because it means tremendous limitation coming into a body is a great renunciation for the gods so she gives the story of shiva he says i will help in the work and she describes beautifully with his gold red body and tall touching the ceiling and then he says yes i will help in the new creation uh, what would you want me to do and the mother says that you know i want this physical ego to go away the ego which is inbuilt in the very cells of the body and shiva says yes i will do it for you and she goes to shirbindo and says you know i have a very funny feeling that all my cells are getting scattered because he is the great you know destroyer tandava and shirbindo says not yet and you know we know about shirbindo's power of the word where when he would say yes the super mind will descend and when he said not yet of course the mother doesn't present it this way but i was amazed you know when i read this account that immediately everything stopped we have heard about shiva's word you know he grants a boon but someone overruling that word not yet so he did not deny she was boon he postponed it in terms of time much later the mother would have this experience of impersonalization of the body and she would recollect once again and say shiva had granted me this but that was not the time and i understand it was premature and much later it would take place so it's one of those very fantastic stories yes. and during that time when shiva said i will help but i will not take birth i will incarnate when supramental creation is already there he says of all the gods only krishna consented and she says that krishna uh, an incarnation of the supreme from the past came and agreed because krishna the anand mein krishna of the kurukshetra krishna of the vaishnavas who is a delight baby they are all different aspects of krishna for instance when shobindo received the geeta in the jail uh, a disciple asked him was it the krishna of the kurukshetra or was it the krishna of vrindavan shobindo said it was the krishna of the kurukshetra now here she specifies that krishna who was the past incarnation of the supreme a past formation of the incarnation of the supreme he comes and he says i will i agree to fix myself in an earthly body to help 
the evolution. It's amazing. Yeah. And then we see that he, mother says, I saw him. For a long time he was hovering around Shurabindo. In fact, there are so many stories of Krishna and mother and Shurabindo, just to touch upon some of them, that Shurabindo would be inside and uh, very often mother would walk in the veranda with Krishna. And she said, it was such a delight, such a delight. And then when Krishna withdrew, then she would have Shurabindo by his side and walk. And then one day the mother said, why do I need to do anything at all? What this ashram, this, that, nothing is needed. I am so happy just to be like this. And Shurabindo, she would walk with Supreme, that's all. And then she says, Shurabindo knew it. And immediately the whole thing stopped. Because if that continued, why would she, you know, it's, yeah. we cannot understand the pain, the suffering that the incarnation has to undergo when he limits himself to a human body, plays with us. And very often I, I give this example when people say, you know, what does it mean? I say very simply, just imagine that if we were given to the task of training monkeys to become computer geniuses, <laughs> and not only train them, live with them, eat what they eat, you know, <laughs> give explanations for their monkey tricks, give a cogent explanation of their monkey tricks as well as about computer sciences. How frustrating the experience would be. <laughs> One or two days you can amuse yourself, but not for a lifetime. But this is exactly what the avatar does. He wants to not just teach a donkey to like in a circus they make the donkey put pick up two then add plus then pick up the sign of two write equal to and write four he wants a donkey to learn mathematics higher mathematics and the avatar does it what else is a proof of love and compassion very often people ask today also somebody was asking what did Shurabindo do for human beings I said he did something which nobody else has done gave tremendous love and compassion it's up to us to receive it we don't understand that love and compassion. So in that love and compassion, when Krishna descended and mother went and told Shurabindo, you know, you know, I have seen this. She says, Shurabindo was very indifferent to it. He said, yes, yes, I know. But she says, because this descent had a meaning for his work and for the universal progress. Personally, he was indifferent to it. It was not that Krishna has descended into me. Don't you know you dare? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> he says it was very good because now overmind has through Krishna fixed itself into matter and now the next step is possible. And then something else happened which is very amazing and that's where we started with the great renunciation. The mother after this, it was like all these gods entering and people were having fantastic experiences. They were having visions, knowing about their past life and all kinds of things were happening. Uh, even the whole descriptions of the sadhak during that period that there was such peace, joy in the atmosphere. Very often they would feel, to quote from Savitri, as if lifted near to the gods. And then mother goes and tells Shurabindo, well, this is what I have created. And she comes to offer it to the Lord. Just as in Japan she does this, she gave the 
the meal that I had prepared for man, yes. man refused it. Therefore, I offered it to the gods, to, to the all supreme. So she again prepared a new creation, new creation in the sense that it was very different from whatever had been done so far. It was a full-fledged over-mental creation in matter, something which had never been realized. There have been touches of the over-mind, influences of the over-mind in few individuals. And some had gone past in secret schools. But the whole earth being under over-mental influence and a whole chunk of humanity developing into a race of over-mental beings, gods, I mean, it would definitely change humanity markedly. Shubhinda says, yes, yes, I know that. We will do great things with this. This was the power of the word. Power of the word. People would believe that, you know, we will be on top of, you know, like we will form a great religion. You will be worshipped yes. as the ultimate, as the supreme. But we don't want that. Nothing but the highest supramental can satisfy you. And then I see that there is nothing parallel to this renunciation. That both mother and she, mother with her inner consciousness, within two hours, she says, I understood and within two hours, mm -hmm. I dissolved all that. And everybody started complaining. What happened? I had marvelous experiences. Such lights, such voices, such visions. All that gone, gone, gone. And Shurabindo spearheading the evolutionary movement leaves aside the Sudarshan Chakra and the flute and picks up the plough and says, now for the hard work. And we see after that, the ashram came into being. Shubindu withdraws, no more evening talks. The entire charge is given to the mother. All these things happen simultaneously. And the hard work starts. Why? Because over mind can fix its, its conditions, its demands are not so stringent. For supermind, not even an aorta of darkness in any corner. It cannot take it. It will dissolve it. By take it means, then it will have only one of the two options. If supermind descends and there is falsehood, there will be catastrophe because it, it cannot stay. It's like light and darkness. If light meets darkness, there is no choice but to dissolve. In savagery, it might shatter all measures made and earth sink down with the weight of the, the infinite. Of the infinite. What thou hast won is thine, but ask no more. Man is too weak to bear the infinite's weight. Truth born too soon might break the imperfect earth. O soul who standest at the eternal doors, what thou hast won is thine, but ask no more. Alone thou standest at the eternal doors. Nobody is there. You see, you want to bring down who is there with you accompanying you. Nobody. Nobody even understood Shurvinda and the mother. And who could? I mean, how can man ever understand the divine? So this was the day when it was not just Sri Krishna's descent into the physical, which of course, that's how we know it. But it meant the descent of the overmind plane and fixing itself in matter. Till now, it has only had an indirect or sometimes a direct influence. And mostly it was an influence which took into its fold few persons. And then for the rest of humanity, it was a general influence acting from behind. That's how the plane of the gods are. Even in the Vedic period, the gods had not, in some initiates, they would come and help mankind for ascent. 
but never fix themselves into matter. And that is why when Shirobindo is asked before this descent, what are you busy with, sir? Are you pulling down the supermind? He speaks about the tail of the supermind. Yeah. And then he says, I know what it is. So, sir, what are you doing? I am supramentalizing the overmind. These gods have to give open the passage. They have the keys. They cannot be on the wrong side. <laughs> they have to completely consent. Why? Because their supramental creation would mean their hegemony, their reign also comes to an end. Now man goes beyond the gods. He does not anymore need them. And that was another big problem that to start with, some of the great gods and goddesses, mother had to convince them. Durga, for instance, that look, do you like this kind of worship? No, no, mother, I don't like it. What to do? My devotees put me in a pandal and call me <laughs> with all those drum beats. Not in so many words, but it's such a misery for the gods, you know. Poor, poor beings have to, you know, compress themselves. Why don't you surrender to the supreme? Now, gods don't know it. They know they are respect of the divine. That's enough for them. But to surrender? I have to surrender? People surrender to, to her? So, she tells Durga to surrender and she does it and then she learns the joy of surrender. So these gods, beyond a point, will not allow. In the Vedas, there are so many stories that even there are hymns in the Veda where gods, up to a point, they help, then they begin to hinder because uh, they know if you go past, so only with some initiates, this was kept secret. So the master had the key and the gods would allow a certain group of humanity only as an escape, not upon earth. So on one side, they were doing very good work. On the other side, well, they would not allow a greater creation to manifest because it would mean they are no more required. And yet people had this big problem because human beings have been under the influence of gods. And they asked mother that what should be our relation with the gods. And she said, those who still want to worship the gods, they can continue to do so. It's their business. But they must know it has nothing to do with the supramental creation. Very categorically. So she asked, what should be our relation with them? A luminous and understanding difference. A luminous understanding that, well, they have a role to play in the creation. They are like our brothers and sisters participating in the evolutionary march. Not as superiors and subordinates. Not as the guides. Not as giver of boons. Because now, all our boons come from the Supreme and nobody else. They are simply those who have helped so far and thus far and they have done a wonderful job so this was the day which opened the passage for the next level and the work could be done this is how on Siddhi day and the two days after Siddhi day Siddhi day marked a change as we know um, the evening talk stopped Shobindo now was sure that supermind has to descend it was a clear indication the overmind plane has consented. The master who had, you know, held the overmind forces in his hands, Sri Krishna, he himself entered into Sri body. So then he withdrew to completely focus on this supramental descent and prepare earth for that. And the mother was given charge of the ashram, the disciples and all over the world. She took over 
from Shurbindo. And that was the time when Shurbindo openly declared, now for everything you have to turn to her. Whatever you want to receive for me, from me, you have to turn to her and you will receive. And he even says, when you ask something from me, you get only 25%. <laughs> Whereas when you ask from mother, you get 100%. <laughs> and it was symbolically expressed in that, uh, you know, they came out beautifully described that, you know, how Shrabindo came out and people were feeling something is special going on. And it was building up to a point when suddenly the mother sent call that all the disciples have to hurry back. There is something special that is going to take place. So they knew this is a culmination of something which is happening. And they all gathered for meditation or whatever Shivindo has to say. And then the door opened and Shivindo stepped out accompanied with the mother. And Shivindo sat on his royal throne, the chair. And the mother sat on his right on a stool. And there was a beautiful meditation. And then after the meditation, they had to just walk by. And um, the mother would bless the disciples. And Shobindo's hand would be behind her. Yes. That as if, I mean, over that was a fact. Hand, over hand, yes, over you. her hand, from behind, as if yes. whatever his blessings were going now through the mother. They had to go only through her. Could you just mention about Datta? Yes, so I was just, yeah. just next was good, that. Good. And suddenly Datta, who felt inspired, declared, announced, Oh, the Lord has come. Krishna has descended. The Lord has conquered death. And uh, death, disease, you know, it was a great event. And a lot of things he said. But she is the one who directly felt inspired. Nobody had told her anything. But she used the word that Krishna has come, the Lord has descended, he has conquered death. And uh, we know Datta, I mean, of course, we all know, but just since, you know, we are talking about yes. it in general. So Datta was a friend of the mother who accompanied her all the way from France, Miss Hodgson, that was her name. Uh, she was given the name of Datta. Datta means the offered one. And she's the one who stayed with mother and uh, beautiful lady in many ways. And uh, she declared, and then of course many others had some kind of feeling, some kind of experiences. And after that, it is uh, the mother who was placed directly in charge of uh, all the souls who would aspire for the supramental yoga. Uh, Shubindo was asked this question, incidentally, since we spoke about the Lord has conquered death. He was asked once that uh, is death still possible for you? Shubindu said it can come in three ways. One, by violent accident or poisoning. Suddenly, overwhelming. Though he had conquered poisoning, I mean he had taken yeah, one kilogram of opium, opium yeah. and it did nothing to him. So that aspect he had already conquered. So violent accident. The second was, effect of age means despite everything, matter still stubbornly refuses. And the third is, my own choice if I feel that the work cannot be done anymore, any further. It has been taken to its utmost possibility. But what he did was something which he did not mention. And that was again to renounce in my body the realization, to hasten the collective realization upon earth. And that was the reason why Shurabindo withdrew. So when we look at Shurabindo's life in this context, we see a series of renunciation.
in announcing the overmind creation for mother and shubhendu meant renouncing many things i mean imagine they could have formed the biggest possible religion regarded as the most authentic spiritual figure in the history of mankind and they let it go so simply and prepared to do the hard work after that you see all the sadhaks started experiencing problems of the physical consciousness subconscious and shubhendu would say yes yes i am myself digging deep into the subconscious something like rishi agastya of old the god's labor god's labor because unless that is cleared this cannot and eventually to hasten the collective realization he renounces realization in his own body and withdraws on 5th december 1950 the day of the great sacrifice and the day of the great victory depends on how we look at it so that's the significance of 24th november and 26th november is also known incidentally 26th not 27th as the immortality day that is not often known in shobindu circle amal kiran has written a note about it you know it followed the victory over death it's an essential victory over death because death is possible only up to the overmind level but it's not death technically because up till the overmind level there is a limitation you are not yet into the infinite so whatever is limited can dissolve so in indian conception there are two kinds of pralayas one is a limited pralay of the material creation the other is a maha pralay of the creation up to overmind so even the gods a point comes when they withdraw into the supreme so up to the overmind even the gods beyond a certain termless time if i may use a paradoxical term withdraw into the supreme but you go past overmind there is no death because there are no limits and it's all infinity so november 26th 1926 is known as the immortality day and november 24th 1926 as the siddhi day